There's no loyalty in Silicon Valley. No. <laughs> Someone offers you something more exciting or more money, you jump. Uh, but like, yeah, in Norway, like in all that the Nordics, such high loyalty. So that's what I usually say. Like, do you want the best of both worlds? Exactly what you described. Development design in the Nordics, sales marketing in the US. Yeah. Uh, but you have to understand, in Nordic society, there's something called the law of Yonta, or, or Jontalaven, wow. which basically means it's a set of rules that are kind of ingrained in the culture. And you should look them up because they're really, really interesting. But one example is you are not to think you're better than anyone else. You know, this is a law. You are not to laugh at us. There's another law which is very difficult for the startup land where it says you are not to think you can teach us anything. So this, these are like literal laws and different between, it's a Danish author, but they're used in Norway, less yeah. in Sweden. But notice Stockholm is doing much better. Episode 78 of 14 Minutes of SaaS is the third of a five-episode mini-series with Sean Percival, CMO at Whereby. I'm Stephen Cummins, and Sean says there's no loyalty in Silicon Valley. He feels that where one has a choice between the two, hire for dev and design in the Nordics, sales and marketing in the United States. And he's actually written a book called Working with Norwegians. Welcome to 14 Minutes of SaaS, the show where you can listen to the stories and opinions of founders of the world's most remarkable SaaS scale-ups. So eventually you joined um, 500 Startups and you moved out to Oslo, oh, but still doing some stuff in Silicon Valley. Dave McClure gave you you know, you, we mentioned Jason Kalkanis already. Dave McClure gave you a wonderful reference on LinkedIn, and in it he mentions, in the past three years with 500 startups, he's invested in over 100 companies and managed several accelerator programs in Silicon Valley and the Nordics. So my question after reading that was, does, does this guy sleep? But my second thought was, uh, you could only do that if you love the world of startups. So do you really love what you do, Sean? I really love that job, actually. and and. Dave is a eh, slight controversy in some cases, but still a really, really good guy. I knew Dave not very closely, but he invested in Whittleby, that company we talked about. He invested when actually things were not going well and we were struggling. Um. And he said to me, I'm going to invest uh, $50,000, I think. Uh, and he said, I don't think this is going to work out, though. And if it doesn't work out, when you need a job, I want you to call me first. That's all I ask. So it was almost like a recruiting uh, deposit. And I took the money because I needed it and I got to make payroll and do all my stuff. And uh, sure enough, months later, like, yeah, we were out of business. And I called him up. I said, you're right. It didn't work out. And what can I do? So I joined 500 because I didn't feel like I handled my investors well. Like I said, half were great, half were not. So I wanted to better understand this part of the equation. Uh, I still love startups, absolutely. I wanted to help, I wanted to, I'm very much the kind of guy that like, yeah, I've had some success, but I've had a lot more failure. I always push the failure forward and try and help others to avoid it or approach it differently. So my view is like, Dave, I was like, you're gonna let me work with hundreds of companies. I'm gonna get to take all my experience and pay it forward, very Silicon Valley. Uh, I need a job because my startup just crashed. And yeah, Dave, I'll, I'll do this for a year. Maybe less, and then I'm going to go do my next startup. And I think I worked yeah over three years for him too. Wow! So I love startups. I still to this day, even though I'm a CMO, I always carve a little bit of time for mentorship of early stage startups. And we're going to come on to Appearin pretty quickly because it's connected with Oslo, of course. But 
if we if we look at those kind of five years you've been there, uh, most of it in the startup scene, um, it's quite a small uh, city. You, you would have had the the ability, especially working with, with 500 startups and organizations like that, um, to actually have an influence there. You, you must be like a minor rock star in the startup scene in Oslo. And you know how how did that feel uh, coming from Silicon Valley, where sure you've done some amazing things, but you know you wouldn't have been known by everybody yep, in the way that you would true. be in Oslo. How, how does that feel? Is it is it very gratifying? It feels really good. You might argue it's like big fish in a, sm in a small pond, but at the same time, like you're exactly nailed it on the head. Silicon Valley was so much noise. I worked for 500 startups, one of like the most well-known top programs. There's better programs and less and better and so forth, but nobody cared. It was like I couldn't break through the noise. And I started going more to Europe and 500 was always very international. Dave always invested globally when most Silicon Valley VCs don't do that. So he's well known for that and I think ahead of the curve in some ways. So I started coming to these parts of the world and I realized like, yeah, that these, com these countries lack early stage funding, they lack uh, a pay it forward culture, they lack mentorship, they lack experience. I happen to have all these things, either personally or because of 500 startups. So it felt really good. I remember one of the first times or second time I went there, like, yeah, they were like literally at the airport with a huge sign and like shaking flags. And it was like a very weird experience because I'm like, <laughs> I don't see myself as a rock star, but I got the rock star treatment several times. That's great. But it felt good. And Norwegians especially, a lot of them would come up to me and just say, so good you're here. We need people like you. We need this competency. What are the pros and the cons of starting a company in Oslo? And what, what are the characteristics? What do you think is the, are the cultural characteristics of the, of the type of entrepreneurs that you, that you kind of met? It's a good question and there's a lot of nuance between the cultures, as with any culture difference. You know, there's always so much, so much nuance. But if you think about the Norwegian modesty, you think about the American arrogance, <laughs> complete different sides of the spectrum. And so it's good and bad. So I'm actually trying to merge these and meet them in the middle, where I try and make Norwegians less modest. So an example is like an American founder might walk up to you and say like, hi, I'm so-and-so, I know so-and-so, my business is making a million dollars, you know. <laughs> a Norwegian founder would walk up and say like, um, yeah, you know, I'm working on something, not really that big of a deal. You don't even really worry about it, <laughs> to be honest. So it's like so different worlds. Yeah. Uh, is one better than the other? I don't know. Perhaps, but really what I'm thinking about is like trust and modesty and just like transparency of Nordic culture with the sort of bravado or the push or their uh, sort of ambition of American culture, trying to find that medial, that middle point. Yeah. Uh, but they're totally different societies. You know, Americans sell everything, including themselves. Yeah. And Norwegians just do not do this. Yeah. That's true of all, almost all of Scandinavia. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I guess uh, if you have a company that has kind of that's founded in in, um, in a Nordic country and it gets to a certain scale and you want to have a presence in the States, you'll probably run your sales and marketing out of the States yeah. and keep your development because you got some fine, uh, you got amazing developers as well, but they don't cost as much, right? And, they cost uh, half as much And they much stay money. twice as long, possibly. Exactly. So the tenure is very, very long. There's no loyalty in Silicon Valley. No. Someone <laughs> offers you something more exciting or more money, you jump. Uh, but like, yeah, in Norway, like in all that the Nordics, such high loyalty. So that's what I usually say. Like, do you want the best of both worlds? Exactly what you described. Development design in the Nordics, sales marketing in the US. Yeah. Uh, but you have to understand in Nordic society, there's something called the law of Yonta or, or Yontalaven, wow. which basically means it's a set of rules that are kind of ingrained in the culture. And you should look them up because they're really, really interesting. But one example is you are not to think you're better than anyone else. 
you know, this is a law. You are not to laugh at us. There's another law which is very difficult for the startup land where it says, you are not to think you can teach us anything. So this, these are like literal laws and different between, it's a Danish author, but they're used in Norway, less yeah. in Sweden. But notice Stockholm is doing much better. Even if we're talking about that, uh, you know, that, that the society that you, you see across, now across um, uh, Finland as well, and Iceland as well, um, you know, Olaf Palma, uh, in the 70s would have been the father of all of that you know uh, looking after everyone, which i am a big fan of looking after the age looking after making sure everybody's a great education and health uh, so stockholm really is the is the innovative center of that and of course on the business side stockholm has produced five or six unicorns in the last decade or so yeah yeah, yeah. And they have the highest uh, like unicorn per capita i guess in is Europe, the metric without a doubt yeah. and they're 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 right up there with tel aviv and 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 and, yep. and san francisco if you yeah. really think about that yep. they're 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 close to that because the, because the city's quite small. I know it's bigger than Oslo, but it's still yeah. quite small. It's population similar to Dublin. So, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, so it, that's probably why they're a little bit less like that. And that's possibly yeah. something in the last 20 years. I think so, and it is generational. And, and I see that like less Norwegians are held back by La Vianta, especially when I do a talk to college kids. They're like, nah, we don't really think about that anymore. But trust me, their parents are. But this is part of that flat hierarchy, that equal society. So in America, especially Silicon Valley, it's more of the meritocracy. Yeah. The best person, he or she will be pushed up. You know, we had like, if you were good in math, you were put in an AP or an advanced math class. They didn't even have this concept in Norway. <laughs> it's like, if you're too good in math, they're like, can you slow down a little bit so everyone can catch up? So that is the Nordic way. It's not to take the overachiever and push him or her further. Uh, it's to bring everyone else up that is perhaps falling behind. That's Nordic equality. So this is very different to me because I grew up in Los Angeles and in Los Angeles all people do is tell you why they are better than you, non-stop. Yeah. Yeah. And the Norwegian or the Nordic way, you would never do that. People would not trust you if you kept saying, I'm good and I have this and look at my car, like you just wouldn't do that there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So wealthy but not flashy. So, is their way. So one of the things I did in my 10 career changes over the years was I, I went and did a thing called the JET program in Japan and I was teaching in public schools there and they have the same thing because uh, they actually what they do is if you have a class of 36 they'll take the best at maths and the worst at maths in the maths class and they sit beside each other. Yep. And then the, the second best and the second worst, they sit beside each other and it's just leveling out and the same, the cultural thing is not to go up and say I'm great or I can do this, mm. it's, uh, it's to knock that down. Yeah, in Japan it's basically like the tall nail gets hammered. And, it's, it, and the tall yeah. poppy gets cut in New exactly. Zealand. You know, yeah. it's, so it's, uh, Very yeah, um, without massive investment, like the Zooms of this world, who you're competing directly with now appear in your ratings on G2 Crowd for meets requirements and ease of use and admin and also things like the quality support, um, they're beating pretty much everyone in the space. Uh, and if you look at features, uh, you're, you know, you're, you're neck and neck there uh, with Zoom, uh, you know, and you're hammering the blue jeans and Skypes of this world for features. And then there's other things where uh, maybe you're not completely dominating, but overall, you're very strong uh, and you seem to be innovating at a, at a, at a fairly fast rate. Um, you, Tell me, tell me a bit about Appearin and, and why, what, what uh, attracted you to becoming their CMO? Yep. When I first came to Norway, even though I was doing venture, I really wanted to work for this company. I wanted to invest, uh, but they haven't done a venture round, so it's a, a unique story. Um, but to me, I just thought like, yes, I like the culture, I love the product. It's classic Norwegian approach, where let's not let anything get in the way. Let's be very pragmatic. Let's keep everything simple. Let's do nice design. 
And so where other, everyone always is like frustrated by Skype, most of my people, and we were just at the Dublin Tech Summit, as you mentioned, everyone or half the people came up to the uh, booth. I love Appearin, I love this service. And I always heard that. How many products do you say I love? Very few. Very few, Apple maybe, and a few others and so forth. Uh, Slack, who knows, different ones too. But like, when I kept hearing people say, I love the product, like you love a video conferencing tool? Like this is very strange to me. But then I realized, I was like, wow. And this is maybe going back to some of my social media roots where it's like, this is a product that connects people and it gets out of the way. It lets people talk, it lets people collaborate. You know, my favorite thing is when people send us a photo and they're like, my mom couldn't join us for dinner. So she was on a peer in at the end of the table. You know, great. You can close the big sales meeting and, and you know, can get your next job or whatever it is too. But I love those moments as well. So I just, I loved everything that was swirling around. Uh, I think I mentioned earlier in the interview that I wanted to do venture for one year or less and it had turned into almost five years. So I needed to get back. You know, I wanted to be back in an operational role and kind of what we also touched on as well great at product, really strong, it's sort of like design and other parts, not a marketing mindset. That doesn't exist as much in the Nordics. So they needed a little bit more American marketing bravado and I was happy to kind of help balance that out a little bit. In the next episode, episode four of this five-part mini-series, Sean talks about the competitive landscape in video conferencing software and discusses how he's re-architecting his life in the Nordics and escaping the shackles of email and the negative effects of social media. You've been listening to 14 Minutes of SaaS. Thanks to Mike Quill for his creativity and problem-solving skills and to Katsu for the music. This episode was brought to you by me, Stephen Cummins. If you enjoyed the podcast, please don't forget to share it with your network subscribe to the series and give the show a rating.